So what I predict personally is, uh, and I think you can see some of this happening within Facebook's internal marketing and stuff is a push towards Facebook groups, a push towards the Facebook marketplace, a push towards staying on Facebook. Here's an interesting thing. When you post on Facebook, right, your post, if you want just people to see it, it goes out to their timelines or whatever. Whether people see it depends on its how Facebook promotes it. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth by investing in Main Street, by investing in real estate. Today, this is a part two of a conversation with Dan Barrett from AdWords Nerds. And today, we're talking about recent changes in data sharing, data privacy that have impacted the advertising space specifically, specifically digital advertising. We're talking about impacts that have happened in his business, how this has impacted his advertising ROI. And I promise you, there has been an impact. You're going to learn specifically what that impact is. And then we kind of get into the conversation about the ethics around our data privacy and what that means for us and what it will mean a couple decades down the road. We need to take a long view of these things as we think about what some of our rights are, or maybe maybe what our rights should be. This is a, a conversation that gets into what sh- what do we think our rights should be when it comes to what these platforms know about us and then what they kind of tell other platforms about us and also how they monetize what they know about us. So it's really interesting conversation, something that I think we should be we should be thinking about and we're getting we're getting input from a guy who is boots on the ground today. So love all of that. Great to have these conversations and think about what uh what what it should be. So Love all of it. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a quick second. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me the warm and fuzzies because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. And that's what it's all about here is helping you escape the Wall Street casino and building a real estate business, man. You need to have an online footprint. And one of the ways to drive traffic to your online footprint, to your website, to bring you leads, right, is advertising. And that's what we're talking about today with one of the premier experts in real estate online advertising. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't yet, take a second, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit that subscribe button, that way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Love having these conversations where we learn something currently about the state of the market, and then we get a maybe a little bit broader about the the ethics of what we think how the how we think the market should behave especially looking forward looking a, a decade or two forward about what this is going to mean for the market for anybody investing in real estate and trying to finance real estate in the next 10 20 years we need to lay that groundwork right now and think about what those things mean so great conversation with Dan i know you're going to enjoy it here we go so I would say like the only bipartisan issue in America today is that everybody hates big tech. Republicans hate big tech because they think that they're being censored and liberals hate big tech because they think their private data is being stolen and they're both right. So they all hate each other, but they all hate big tech more. For different reasons. (laughs) For different reasons. But hey, I'm like, hey, unity, you know, hey, you want unity? This is what we get. 
And then Mark Zuckerberg shows up on Capitol Hill to testify and he just makes everything worse because he looks like a robot and people are like, he's been replaced by a reptile. So the South Park so anyway, take on, on him was exactly right, but we don't need it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, I, I feel bad for this dude because I'm like, I've been this dude. You're a little awkward. You know, he revolutionized <laughs> communications and now he's got a, you know, sweat and a suit in front of everybody. And a crappy haircut, so, but yeah. Um, yeah. This poor, yeah. Spend some money on here. You could, <laughs> yeah. you could afford a personal trainer or whatever. But in any case, these big tech companies very much see the writing on the wall. The wall. Facebook wrote a full page ad in the New York Times arguing for, um, heavy regulation of the industry. Why do they do that? They're doing that because they think they can handle it financially and their competitors can't. So they want it, right? They're trying to get out ahead, but they want to control it, right? Apple is- Regulatory capture. Yes. So into this space, Apple, who- you know, hates Google and hates Facebook. I always picture them just as individuals who hate each other. Um, but they all kind of play together, but they all kind of hate each other at the same time. Apple saw an opportunity. Apple's opportunity was, we are going to give people complete control over the data that they pass to other companies through their phone. So you could just, this iOS update that we're talking about, there's a lot that goes into it technically, but you could basically understanding it, understanding it as Apple pushes a notification and says, do you want to opt out of all of Facebook's and Google's tracking stuff? You just opt out of it. We'll block it for you on your phone. We won't let it work. And a lot of people opt out because again, biological revulsion at the idea of a computer understanding us more than we understand ourselves. I don't like Mark. I don't like the look of Mark Zuckerberg. He creeps me out. So I'm going to opt out. Now, what that does, by the way, is it does not opt you out of Apple's track. They still track. Facebook can't track. (laughs) So, so. So Apple gets to be, we were talking before, you say you use Android, but you've been thinking about switching to iOS because of this privacy. Just because of that, yeah. That is what they get. They get to be, well, we're the good guys. We're protecting your privacy. We are protecting your data. Uh, We get to be the device where it's the most secure and the most private or whatever. And I get to kick Mark Zuckerberg in the gut at the same time. Win, win, win. We go, oh my God, it's like five wins, right? They they like high five over there. And I, I'm an Apple user. I love Apple. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I got a black t-shirt and black glasses on. You could probably tell I use Apple. Right? And so AirPods. I'm, yeah, ex- I got AirPods. Yeah, exactly. It's terrible. I, 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 again, I'm a mark, a mark for marketing. So in any case, what this did was throw a wrench into the way that Facebook's al- advertising algorithm works. Facebook is now much less capable of gathering the data on the front end and then using that data to understand what you're going to do on the back end. I cannot stress enough the extent to which this hurts them. This hurts the way their business model works. When this happened, they put up like a thing in your, like when you logged in and it was like, oh, you can like pro, you can opt back in to our tracking. And they're, the way they tried to like convince you of it was like, it was like, we're trying to keep Facebook free. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, by all means, charge for Facebook. That Go would, for it. That would destroy Facebook. Yeah, it did not move me. I don't know. They needed marketing help. But anyway, in any case, um, you know, so this really, really hurt that. And I, we were talking about this before. I run Facebook ads extensively for clients and for myself. I'll only talk about my own numbers because I feel comfortable sharing that. But I will run Facebook ads to get clients all day, every day. I would get close, somewhere between a five and a 10 times ROI on what I would spend. Amazing marketing channel. That went from five to 10 times ROI to zero ROI almost, almost, almost overnight. 
right? Wow. So to say it is an extreme change, depending on the way that you run your ads and depending on a number of things, is not overselling it at all. Now, all that context, just so you understand what's happening, why this is an issue. If you are running Facebook advertising, you want to do Facebook marketing, right? For a couple of things to understand. One, I absolutely think they will figure it out. They make too much money to not figure it out. Again, they got the people, right? It's like, uh, they're going to figure it out. Now, two, what ends up, what this ends up doing is forcing Facebook to focus more on behavior within Facebook itself. Because you got to remember the, the tracking stuff is when you're on your iPhone. You're not on your iPhone. What you did on your iPhone doesn't matter, right? So if you're using the Facebook app, for example, or you are on the desktop or whatever, you're on the website or whatever, all that stuff's fair game. So what I predict personally is, uh, and I think you can see some of this happening within Facebook's internal marketing and stuff is a push towards Facebook groups, a push towards the Facebook marketplace, a push towards staying on Facebook. Here's an interesting thing. When you post on Facebook, right, your post, if you want just people to see it, it goes out to their timelines or whatever. Whether people see it depends on its how Facebook promotes it. So You'll see some posts in Facebook, everybody everybody commenting on your sister's baby pictures or something. That's going to show up. It's got a lot of engagement, right? So there's an algorithm that determines what shows up. One of the best ways to determine, to to make your your posts not show up to anybody, one of the best ways to just kill your post in its crib before it ever gets out to the world is to include a link to an external website. Ah, yes, of course. Okay, I've heard this before. Yes. Yeah. They want to keep people on Facebook. Don't send them away. Keep them here. So what I've started to notice is like people making Facebook groups and then driving people to the Facebook group because people want to, Facebook wants to keep you in the group. So it's more likely to push group posts because those keep you in Facebook and so on and so forth, right? So things like that. The other thing is that there has been an emergence in the short term. And I don't know if this is a long-term trend, but there's an emergence in the short term of companies that promise to close the gap for your own ad tracking. So for example, if I'm running an ad and I want to know if people are responding to it, I have to track conversions. I've got to track sales. I've got to attribute what happens in my business to what happened over here on Facebook, right? And a lot of that process was broken by this update. We would see Facebook saying that people converted when they didn't, saying they didn't when they did, uh, just lags and data is all messed up. So there's a number of companies that have entered this space and promised to fix that issue. So for the two big ones are Hyros and Wicked Reports, both of which I have tested and used. I'm currently using Hyros. I do, I'm not recommending them because I haven't seen really like trackable, provable results. It's going to be a couple months for those sales cycles to resolve. But if you are having an issue right now, like you run Facebook ads and you're having an issue tracking conversions or even figuring out what's happening, these companies sort of come in. It's a couple thousand bucks for the year. Typically, they're going to install URL tracking variables and their own pixels and stuff that are going to operate outside of that stuff. And they promise to sort of connect what happens in the business to what happens on Facebook. Whether or not those companies stay around, whether or not those problems end up getting resolved by Facebook itself, I think is a question that remains to be answered. But in the short term, that's what people are doing. Does that make sense? Interesting. That is so, uh, that is all so fascinating. And I'm not, uh, not a hundred percent decided, I guess, on, on how I feel about it, but it is kind of heartening to hear that 
Facebook's ability to collect data is being checked in some way because the uh, that unchecked ability is that's really I think where that concern is. They they might have gotten too much information at a certain point, and people probably do enough on the Facebook platform alone for them to really kind of figure out what you're interested in just based on your behavior on their website. I think you know if, if you ask me to predict. And, you know, the track record of people making predictions is extremely poor. So that includes me. I'm probably terrible at it. Uh, my hope, we said this before we were talking before, and I said, this is something that's bad for business, but probably good for the world. And I think there's a lot of things that can be bad for business and good for the world. If I had to predict, I would say that we would probably over time as a society move to a model, you know, as, as data becomes, here's the thing. Like right now, it may be like, well, who cares if Facebook knows I like me undies or not? You know what I mean? It's like, who cares, right? But what's going to happen is 10 years from now, when your kids or 15 years from now, 20 years from now, go to get a home loan, it's an algorithm that's going to decide whether they get one or not. Not a person. It's going to be an algorithm. Mm -hmm. That algorithm is going to have 20 years of data to pull from. You know, this, this is a big deal. And so when you get to the point where you have an algorithm making a decision that no human being can understand because they can't, they don't see the numbers go in and they can't crunch them coming out anyway. Black box. It's, it's a black box. And to what extent do we want black boxes making decisions that affect the outcome of our lives, right? Maybe we do, maybe we don't. Maybe that's better for society, maybe it isn't. But ultimately, I think as a society, we're probably going to move to a model where we view the data that we generate as our own you know, product is something that we produce that's ours, it's our property, right? It's sort of like a trail we leave behind us. And if you look at Europe, right, you look at the European Union, they have things like, for example, the right to be forgotten. If something goes online that you wish wasn't there, you have a right, like five years in the future to say, like, can you take all that stuff down, right? Because maybe I don't want the picture of me drinking in college to come up when I'm applying for a job, you know, like as a state senator or, you know, I'm running for office or whatever, right? And I think that that's, you know, I think there's something to be said for that. There's there's much more stringent restrictions going in place in other places in the world. And I just kind of think that sooner or later we'll follow suit. Whether that ends up happening is a whole other thing. I mean, America's got, you know, its own history with regulation and um, our own feelings about that. But, you know, we'll see. I, th- I think I, I think there's like a reasonable you know, uh, a level of that. And you have to remember the the children that are being born into this environment. I mean, I'm, I'm 32, you know, when I was a little, little kid, this stuff didn't all exist. Right. And, and I see, I think about, I see people that I know on Facebook, they're my Facebook friends, but they're not necessarily my friends, but they'll post like pictures of their cute little kid in the bath or something. And that makes me uncomfortable and just, I unfollow them. But if I was that kid, Dude, I don't want that picture of me on the internet. And it wasn't my decision. It wasn't my ability. I had no ability to consent at the time. But man, when I'm old enough to make that decision, I think I I should have a reasonable right to say, you need to delete that picture of me. Right. Yeah. What's your property, right? And it is truly... I mean, and I'll say like, it, it's a, it's tough because these kind of questions, we've never had to answer them before. In our existing legislative and ethical models... It's like, well, they're all based on like, hey, if I don't like you, I have to like go to the book press and, you know, letter set a book about how I hate your guts or whatever. And it's going to cost a million dollars. 
And like now I can just be like, I hate your guts for free. <laughs> you know, and it's like we were just not used to dealing with this stuff. So it's complicated. I think, again, if, if you're a real estate investor and you're out there today, the thing I always tell people, it's like it's so easy to get overwhelmed by all, right? Like maybe you heard me say algorithmically 15 minutes ago, you just tuned that, right? I get that. I totally get it. So I'm like, here's the basic principle I always tell people. Really know your industry and your business because technology changes, people don't. I mean, we're change very slowly, I should say, right? So understanding the sort of the interplay of how many competitors you have, how much you need to differentiate, what your sellers are looking for, that stuff's always going to be critical. The second thing is to just do it 10 years ago, but you can do it right now. It's never been easier. And you can get out there and start figuring it out. And, you know, if you can take it slow and just pay attention to the fundamentals of what makes real estate investing a valuable business? What makes syndicating like so valuable in this industry, right? If you could focus on the basics, that stuff doesn't change. And you just try to keep abreast. And I think that's enough. For the average investor, that is enough. So hopefully that makes it a little bit more approachable to get into. Wow. Well, we have had certainly a, a, a somewhat ri- wide ranging and you know conversation about ethics. <laughs> this is what always that. happens. Every time I'm on a podcast, people are like, well, that was wide ranging. I'm like, that means I talk too much. That's we what got, that no, means. We got a lot of lessons here. So I, I appreciate that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called ground floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Dan, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you right. ready? I I think I'm ready. I think you are. I'm going to white knuckle it through this. I'm going to do it. <laughs> First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So best investment. So I will put it this way. I, I was thinking about this you know, before we jumped on and there's a bunch of stuff. I, I was going to say like, oh, it's married my wife, which is definitely the best investment. She's listening to this. That's it. But I, I want to give something a little bit more, a little bit more practical, which is I still think to this day, single best thing I did for my business was get an office separate from the house. I used to work for my, you know, I'm home. I'm an online marketing guy. The image is you're in your pajamas all day, whatever. I gained like 30 pounds. I was depressed, you know, getting an office made my business real 
it immediately leveled up my sense of professionalism. It immediately, I mean, I literally think my income tripled the year after I got an office. And I, whether that's just the commitment device in your head, like now I'm in it, now, now it's a real thing. So I, I sort of apply that concept to all sorts of stuff. If, I, if I'm starting a project, I need to make it real. If I'm going to write a book, I will literally like print a jacket, like I'll get the jacket designed and print the jacket and put it on another book and I'll put the book, which is a different book, but I'll just put it on my desk and be like, now it's real, right? And I think if you can commit to things like that, you just get so much more done. So to me, still, that's the single biggest investment, not the biggest investment, but the best investment I ever made. I like that. I like that. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Uh, well, if I was being honest, I would say having kids, but it just hasn't paid off yet. It's a long time horizon. <laughs> Who knows? All right. Well, worst, worst, I know. Yeah. Worst investment I ever made. I would say, you know, so I'm a self-educator. Like I think a lot of entrepreneurs are right. Like I'll do a lot of coaching courses uh, mentorship programs, you know, I'll get into anything. I'll try to learn anything. And I used to get into learning things and I bought a lot of programs this way. So I'm not singling anybody out, but I bought a lot of coaching programs, a lot of stuff like that with the understanding that what I was going to get was a complete system. And I was going to follow that system and I was going to have success. And the thing I realized after many failures doing this, right. Is that for one, Someone else's system is based on what worked for them. It does not mean it's going to work for you, right? The high intensity interval training might be great for someone else. It might be terrible for you, right? So I'd be like, all I do is deadlift 500 pounds a day and I look awesome. And I deadlift like my two shoes off the floor and throw my back, right? <laughs> so when I go into any sort of educational situation or scenario course or whatever, I still buy a lot of courses, still go to a lot of mentorship programs, still do all that stuff all the time. What I am looking for is one good idea that I can apply. That's it. That's all I want. I'm just on the lookout for the, the one good idea I need. And if I get more than one, that's great. But I never go into anything saying, I'm going to take this system and apply it. Because every single time I've done that, I've imploded. And I think this whole mindset of looking for that one good thing can make anything a better investment, right? Like if I go to a restaurant, it's a terrible restaurant. I will, I will look around and be like, What's something they're doing that I could not do in my own business, right? I'm like, that dude, you know, he's got like ketchup stains, like the Mater D has ketchup stains on his shirt. I'm like, okay, like what can I internalize about that? I can get one thing out of this. And wear so, a black shirt. Well, you you noticed my trick, man. Oh. You never have to wash a black shirt. Well, not never, but you know, rarely. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it just is one of these things where it's like, that's more of a general kind of framework. So I don't want to call anybody out and be like their program was bad because it might've been great for someone else. But for me, if I can go in and get one good thing, uh, it's truly transformational most of the time. And you can actually do one good thing. That's the other thing you actually get. About. So that's what nice. I say. Nice. That's I don't know if that's a cheat answer. <laughs> I don't think so. All right. My favorite lesson, or my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Oh my God. Most important lesson. Well, I will tell you the lesson. I will tell you the lesson I am constantly relearning. So I, I won't even say I've learned this. I will say that I am always relearning, which is that I, I'm a visionary guy by nature, big idea guy by nature, fast starter, like a lot of entrepreneurs are. I get excited by the new thing. But the thing that makes a business successful and really a relationship successful, like parenting relationship successful, like anything. 
the thing that makes the relationship successful or the business successful is attention to detail and consistency, which is like, to me as an entrepreneur is not what I want to hear. What I am always like, I'll give you an example. I'm in a nutrition program, fantastic program for four or five years. I've lost like 50 pounds. They're great. I love them, right? Fantastic, open approach, whatever. And it's very much like you weigh your food down to the gram and you've got all these targets and you put them in a spreadsheet. I love the spreadsheet part. I'm all the way into it, right? But I'm like, I want to have a cheat day. I want to have a cheat day so I can go to Taco Bell and eat 5,000 calories of Taco Bell. That's like my thing. I can't really do that now. I, I want to do it. And they're like, you can't really have a cheat day. The whole point is that you're consistent. You make your daily consistent levels comfortable. So you're not starving. You can eat the foods that you want to eat within reason. And you do that forever. That's how you maintain success. And I'm like, no, no, no. What's the hack to get the cheat day? So I don't have to do it. And the answer is there is no hack. There is no such thing as a cheat day with no consequences. (laughs) None of that exists. You have to be consistent. You have to pay attention to detail. And the people that do that in business crush it, even with mediocre industries, businesses, or whatever. And you can have rocket ship success overnight by having the right idea, the right place at the right time. But if you do not know how much money's going out, how much money's coming in, if you do not know how many leads are coming in, how many sales are going out, if you do not know your conversion rate, your click-through rate, blah, 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 maybe you don't have to know it, but someone has to know it. Someone has to be paying attention. You have to be consistent. And if you don't do that, things will bite you in the butt sooner or later. Because you will go day one and you'll be like, nothing bad happened. Day two, you'll be like, nothing bad happened. Day three, you'll be like, nothing bad happened. I just had Taco Bell three days in a row. I look the same. The danger is you will look the same all the way up until when you don't. And you're training yourself the whole time that you don't have to pay attention. And you do. So this is, it's on a sticky note. I, I keep looking over the site. It's on a sticky note on my wall. I look at it every day. And it just says, I will, uh, this will do, will do the, the children's version. So this is bleeped out. It says, pay effing attention. <laughs> pay effing attention. Because man, it's like, you don't pay attention to those details. Again, it could be in your marriage, could be as a parent, could be anything. You don't pay attention to those details every single day. It come back, it comes back to bite you. So that is my big lesson. I'm saying it to you guys so that I internalize it because this is what I want to get better. Nice. I appreciate that. The best way to learn something is to teach it to others. And it's great to help cement that in yourself. And then our listeners can benefit as well. And Dan, I want to thank you for joining us today. This is a, a big conversation. Honestly, I'm thinking we're going to have to break it into two parts. It's so much information. Appreciate it so much. This is going to be the second interview we break into two parts, but and no regrets about that. <laughs> if folks want to reach out, if they want to learn more about your business or what you do, if they want to talk advertising for real estate or what have you, where can they track you down? Yeah, so you could go to adwordsnerds.com. So it's A-D-W-O-R-D-S-N-E-R-D-S. So adwordsnerds.com. That's the website. You can check us out. We've also got a Facebook group and all that stuff. It's all linkable, clickable from the site. So just go check it out. I do a podcast every single week on online marketing for real estate, which is called REI Marketing Nerds. You'll find that anywhere you get uh, podcasts. But um, yeah, AdwordsNerds.com is the place to be. Come check us out. We do a ton of free content, ton of training, all that stuff. It's a fun place to go if you want to learn more about this stuff. Great. Well, Dan, I want to thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show and you're an Apple Podcast user, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. Appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show. 
that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see <laughs> that you're escaping the Wall Street casino. You guys know this is live. Dan's still here. <laughs> yeah, know. I like I love I like these taglines. This is excellent. I'm <laughs> we know that you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.